under heaven, on earth, by which we can be healed and which we can be saved. And Lord Jesus, we gather here together in person and by live stream, and we have a variety of different backgrounds and contexts and how we got here and how we got to this place, but you have determined that we would be here together with each other and with you, and we ask that your will would be done in this place here and now by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have brought us together for this time. So we ask that you would illuminate the truths that you have for us, that you would be honored, that you would glorify yourself in our midst, that you would be delighted and glorified. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, uh, my name's Gary. I'm another one of the pastors here at Westview, and we're delighted that you are tuning in uh, by live stream or attending in person here this morning. Thank you. We're continuing our sermon series, as Tyler mentioned, entitled, You Asked For It. These are questions. We received a whole lot of questions, and uh, through prayer and, and uh, discernment, we've selected a few. We want to continue to do this over the course of time. The subject of mental health and suicide has been a taboo subject in discussion in many contexts over many periods of time. But it is increasing in its awareness, in acknowledgement, in concern. Uh, there are still negative stigma. There's a negative stigma associated with it, and so there's room for uh, growth and improvement. And so it is with uh, reverence and humility that we received this question uh, that we are going to investigate this morning, and that is, is suicide a one-way ticket to hell? Is our eternal life in jeopardy? And uh, how did we get to this question? And I want to say that uh, if you are contemplating this, or these are thoughts that you have, or you know that someone who has these kind of thoughts, um, we encourage you, there is uh, help, assistance available, 724. There's a number that you can call. There's a text that you can uh, send, and you can even contact us at our office, whatever the case may be. But how did we get to this question? Uh, it is understood through Scripture and people who've attended church that Human beings are, uh, there's intrinsic value, that human beings are of value to the Lord, that we are created in His image. We bear His image, the Imago Dei, the image of God. We also understand through Scripture that uh, uh, an ethic of nonviolence, of this idea that taking a life, taking another life in whatever way is contrary to God's design and, and purpose and His will. And so then we bring these two together, this, this imago Dei and, and taking a, a life in any case, and the church concludes that to do so would be a sin. It's the language that is used in Scripture and in churches, sin. Missing the mark of God's ideal. And so churches over the centuries have struggled in this subject, struggled, in fact, so much so that they have been struggling 
when it comes to doing funerals. They've struggled when it comes to uh, burials and cemeteries. And we wonder, is it because this is an unforgivable sin? Is it perhaps because of the proximity to, to death that it was a, a, a sin committed just before dying? Is the idea that we need to have every one of our sins completely forgiven to keep our eternal life? Do we need to have, be perfect and have a clean slate? Which brings us to the question that we are exploring this morning, and that is, how does forgiveness work, and what is its connection to eternal life? And I want to mention that in a little time from now, short time from now, I will pause for some question and response. That will be your opportunity. You can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca, and you can send in your questions, or you can stand where you are, and we'll bring a microphone to you. So if you're watching online, ask at westviewchurch.ca, text or email. And we encourage you to do that so that we can converse about this. And you'll also notice in the bulletin, in the sermon section, there are quite a few scripture links. I put quite a few in there this Sunday. Uh, some Sundays I have only a few. Uh, last week I had just like a few, and I thought maybe I would get phone calls or an email saying, hey, where's all of our scripture references? But I never heard from anyone. So I don't even know if y'all are looking at it or not. But in case you are, there's a ton of scripture references in there this week, and I encourage you, if you want to dig in deeper, start investigating some of these scripture links. The subject of suicide in this matter touches a lot of families. Our oldest daughter struggled, and in grade eight, she attempted suicide. I asked her for permission to mention this. So it affected her, but it affected all of us as a family. In the last, just looking back over the course of the last five years in Alberta, each year for the last five years, suicide accounts for over 600 deaths per year in Alberta. And it ranges from age 15 to 65, and those categories are fairly evenly distributed. In Canada, death by self-harm has been ranked ninth in terms of leading causes of death, has been ranked ninth over the past five years, except 2020, where it dropped to 12. So what we're discussing this morning, although the question came from one person, it's on and impacts a lot of people. And what I would also say is one of the other difficulties that we have is what I would call an underdeveloped theology. An underdeveloped understanding of who God is in Jesus Christ, an underdeveloped understanding and knowledge of Scripture itself. So we are in an age where we are deconstructing things, where we are examining and taking a look at um, our beliefs and our faith, which in itself is good. But when we go to reconstruct, what is the reference that we're using? 
And I want to say what has been challenging in this deconstruction era is that we are not using Scripture and the model of Jesus Christ when we are reconstructing our faith. And so this morning, we're going to unpack this. And what I want to do, what we'll do is we will develop a theological framework, but you won't know that it's all technical or academic, but that's what will happen. And in the course, my purpose is to console you if this is something that has touched your life or something that you're struggling with, to console you. It is also to expose the spiritual forces of wickedness and the milieu, the environment that we live in, where there is this battle between two kingdoms. And then thirdly, the purpose is to extol the love and beauty and wonder and majesty and mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, I invite you to take your Bibles, and we're going to the book of Colossians. In the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're trying to find it, there it is. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Just as you have received, the tense of that phrase is aorist indicative. What it means is it's a summary of something that has occurred, a past time. You have received in the past an actual occurrence. You have received. But then the writer says, continue to live. Present active imperative. Continue to live. You have received Jesus Christ past tense, completed, but now continue to live. And this is where the folks in Colossae and humans throughout history continue to struggle because as we continue to live, he says, be careful that you're not living your life according to philosophies of the day, that you're not living your life, constructing your life based on human traditions, whatever they are, according to, oh, I like this one, uh, universal uh, Element spirits of the universe. It's like uh, horoscopes or, or the, the stars or anything like that. Or in modern vernacular that you live your life according to social media and all of this. Who is speaking? Be careful that who is speaking into your life as you continue to live. Anyone except for Jesus Christ as the central primary. Because... To answer the question about how does forgiveness work and what is its connection to eternal life, to answer the questions of life and followership, Jesus Christ is the center point for that. He is the cipher. He is the key by which we can figure out what is going on, both in our lives for forgiveness and in the world. 
So we look to him when it comes to ask this question about what does forgiveness look like? How does it work? And what is its connection to eternal life? And you will notice already in this part of the passage these multiple tenses where there is this past completed tense. There is this present active tense, present tense. And I wonder if there's even a third, which is this future So we continue then in Colossians as we go to verse 9. For in Him, that is in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in Him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. So this Jesus Christ is no ordinary person, no ordinary man. He is... He reveals what God is like. But even more, the writer says, the fullness of God is in Him. It isn't just a reflection of or a revelation of the fullness of the Godhead, the deity, is in Christ Jesus. And he says to the followers of Colossae who were followers of Jesus, the writer says, you are today what you are because of Jesus Christ. And he recalls their baptism. So important, this baptism, this ceremony that we undertake that has been happening for thousands of years. He recalls the baptism and he says, remember, when you were baptized, the symbolic act of going into the water and being buried with Jesus, you put that old self, the old way of human way of doing things, and you said, no, I don't want that anymore. I'm done with that. And you were buried. But then when you came back up, you rose to new life. And here's where it's interesting. He says, when you came up to new life, you were given that new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him. When? How? When He forgave us, us, all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. Whew. There is a cosmic battle going on 
when the writer here says rulers and authorities, he means he has in view both the human rulers and authorities, those people that are in places of, of power, ruling, and authority, but are acting wickedly and violently, and also the cosmic spiritual forces of wickedness that are behind them animating their actions. It's all of it. It's the conglomerate of evil and wickedness that he has in view here. There is a warfare between two kingdoms, friends, that we live in. We live, and it's evident every day in every era and every generation. We live in this warfare between two kingdoms, between the kingdom of God where Jesus is king and the kingdom of this world where the prince of this world is wreaking havoc and people align and cooperate and coordinate with that. But the Lord overcame and defeated that kingdom, and He did it through good. Not through subscribing to the same approach as the wicked forces in that kingdom, but He overcame it through good. So, God, in His love through Jesus Christ, transformed history by turning what was going to be the greatest miscarriage of justice. Kangaroo court convicting and crucifying Jesus the Christ. What was going to be the most craziest miscarriage of justice, but the Lord Jesus turned it on its head and it became the most divine fulfillment of divine justice, as one scholar put it. The language here is so intense. He forgave our sins. He erased what was standing between us. He erased the confrontation and the sin that was there. And the writer says he nailed it to the cross. So in God's view, in God's opinion, the sin that has been caused by human beings throughout history, in which we stand in a legal sense, if you wish, uh, condemned and have this penalty of sin, through Jesus Christ, God says that's erased, it's deleted. But then he says in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ he disarmed those spiritual forces of wickedness and essentially shamed them because they have this threat of death that hangs over human beings. The threat, the danger, the fear of dying and that is what they thought would be their ultimate tool. Their ultimate tool is to kill, to have death. But when Jesus came back from the dead He removes the fear of death and the tool because it's gone because you don't die anymore. And all of this, all of this was done in the body, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, God doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Christ died for us because God the Father loves us. Christ died for us. He died for you and rose again because He loves you. So the victory over that kingdom has been accomplished. Now listen. Victory over that wicked kingdom is extended. The victory is extended to us 
through forgiveness. Forgiveness. It is the clamps that cut the chains of that way of life, that other way. Forgiveness is the power to set us free. It is forgiveness when He forgave our sins. So let me try and do this with some chairs. I was uh, kind of joking earlier with um, some folks that, you know, Westview has tried to get rid of their plastic colorful chairs all of these years, and now this new guy keeps bringing them back. And we have talked about how God continues to pursue us and human beings tend to just turn away and turn and turn. And so eventually God sends His Son and He comes as a human being, the fullness of God, and He comes as a human being and He goes to the cross and by doing that He gives His life and He brings back to reconciliation the human condition and He brings back into perfect fellowship between human beings and God. And what the scripture is saying in Colossians is that because of all this back and forthing, as my daughters would say, everything is a verb. All this back and forthing of turning and wandering and going away from and all of that. And there is this sin that stands between human beings and God our creator. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that has been forgiven. That forgiveness is universal in its value and intention. It is meant to be done with. So we are free from what could be considered inherited sin. Forgiven. But now here's the next point. For people to benefit from that, we accept and follow Jesus. To benefit from that forgiveness, we accept and follow and profess Jesus as Lord. And He gives us His Spirit. As John 1.12 says, For those who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born again, like we were born the first time, but now we're born a second time. But this time it isn't born because of anything that humans have done. It isn't because of humans making a decision. It isn't because of intercourse. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the promise when we say yes to Jesus Christ. We are born a new kind of a person. You are a different person. And what this is called is God then says, I give Christ's righteousness, I ascribe that to you. And the technical word is justified. You are justified because of Jesus Christ when you accept and receive him. You are saved from the penalty of sin. 
But there's more. Because the writer says, continue to live. Of course, that was the uh, aorist indicative. That was past tense. That's punctiliar. That's happened. But now we're continuing to live and continuing to live a certain way. And the reason why we're encouraged and extolled to continue to live a certain way is because our human nature and the spiritual forces of wickedness continue to hoop and holler. You don't have to go far. I mean, you know, the old adage, if you're online, don't go into the comment section. Because evil and wicked continues to hoop and holler. And so the tension is there that we continue to want to go, whether it's our own human nature or it's because of spiritual forces of wickedness and we continue to want to turn and go our own way and do our own thing. And 1 John 1 says, if we uh, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's deceptive to say that doesn't happen or that I don't wander uh, or, or have uh, certain thoughts or attitudes. But he, John 1 says, if, uh, John 1, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive, forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now we continue to go to the Lord and now He forgives us as we are living because we turn to Him and we confess and we turn to Him and we continue to grow and mature and gain in righteousness. And the technical word for that is sanctification. So you are saved, we are being saved. We're being saved from the garbage and the wickedness and the violence that's happening out there. We need to continue to be rescued and ransomed and saved. But here's the thing. Does that mean that we become perfect? We desire holiness as God desires holiness for us. And we want to get closer and closer and closer and emulate more and more so that our lives glow and represent. And, but is it possible to be perfect? To be completely holy? To have every single thing sorted out? If you would take time to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you see what Jesus is doing there. and It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But what he's doing is he's taking what was otherwise the external way of living. And now he speaks about the internal life. Things like if you hate someone, it's like committing murder. If you lust, it's like committing adultery. If you're embroiled in pornography, it's like committing adultery, etc. Uh, the internal life. And it's a struggle. And there's all of this going on at the same time. So, And then eventually he's teaching and... Eventually, he says, you know, it's very difficult even for a wealthy person, which is most of us in the grand scheme of things, most of us in the world. Jesus says it's like, be easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to get into heaven. And whether they conclude it in the beginning of Matthew or three quarters of the way through, the disciples throw up their hands and they say, well, dude, this is impossible. Who can go? Who can have eternal life if the requirements are so tight? And that's the point. Because it's not going to be based on our efforts and our merits. With human beings, it's impossible. With Jesus Christ, it's possible. That's what Jesus says. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not trying harder. 
It's just continue to go to Jesus. It's a progression toward holiness. And it's a belief that someday God the Father will do for us and this cosmos what He did for Jesus Christ when He raised Him from the dead. This technical word is glorification because one day, friends, Jesus will appear and we will be saved from the presence of sin and wickedness and evil. We were saved, saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the power and we will be saved from the presence of wickedness and evil one day. Hallelujah. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to pause for some Q&R. You can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca or you can stand if you're online. Use that online. If you want to stand where you are, we'll, we'll bring a microphone to you. It's interesting to me that Paul says, uh, 1 Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And the reason is that someday when all of this is, the glorification is complete, we won't need faith and hope anymore because the work will be done. Hope will become a reality. Faith will become a reality. And what will remain is love. If you've got a question, we'll take it. Well, we fixed our iPad from last week. Thank you for, again, just an incredible amount of engagement in these topics, and thank you again for uh, questions that are coming in, and thank you, Gary, uh, for just walking through uh, these waters with us. So question that came in uh, is this, there is murder-suicide recorded in the Bible. It is done by one of Israel's leaders, the Judge Samson. Mm. So I can only think of Jesus saying the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Mm. how do we navigate and understand Mm. that in the context of the scriptures. Yeah, that's good. So there are examples of um, murder-suicide in scripture, and Samson is an example. And then they also refer to Jesus saying, I lay my life down, like the good shepherd. Yeah, that's good. Uh, That's really good. And so let's go to the Samson case. You know, this is part of the danger when we just read stories in the Bible and read them like as quaint stories. And we turn everybody into uh, a hero as though they're perfect and ideal. And the reality is that it is less than that. So Samson was given profound powers and abilities from God. But Samson also got carried away. He got carried away many times in his life. Was it God's intention for him to give up his secrets? Was it God's intention for him to fall into the hands? And was it God's intention and plan for him to do this murder-suicide? I think those are examples of someone who's given profound power and it gets out of hand. 
Moses. It got away on Moses. There are times when power, even divine power, can really have an impact on a person. But this idea that Jesus says, John 10, that I laid down my life. Yeah, John 10. I laid down my life, which is different. He willingly gives his life. And in fact, on the cross, he gave up his spirit. So that wasn't him committing suicide. In fact, in the garden, we understand that he said, this is really difficult, and if there's another way, as a human being, I would prefer a different way if the cup could pass before me. But he also said, your will be done. Your will be done. And so he gave his life. He lay it down. He gave it up. So those are, those are definitely different. And there would be other examples too. And so it's so good to ask these questions and to read critically, to think critically. Yeah. No, thanks. That's what we got this morning. So unless okay. there's questions in the audience, but thank All you, right. Dave. Yeah, that's good. Okay. You know, a few messages that I want you to hear this morning, and the first is that the Lord loves you, you all. You are of immeasurable value. You are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. His love is extraordinary and lavish and extravagant to the point of dying on the cross. And I want to invite you, regardless of your circumstance in life, online or here, to accept and follow, receive and follow Jesus Christ. Accept and receive His forgiveness and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and King of your life. Receive this forgiveness. Understand that you are forgiven and to continue to be so. And then, friends, I'm going to invite the music team to come up. And as they do, here's where I want to lean in a little bit and say to you, Choose who you are giving authority to in your life. Listen to me. Choose who has authority in your life. Whoever is speaking into your life and influencing and shaping and contouring the way you think and the way you live and the way you conduct your life, that is who you give authority to. And the idols and the spiritual forces of wickedness and all of that, they have power when human beings give it to them. When you let people on YouTube or social media or friends or other things, when you let those people have a voice into your life and it, you, it allows you to conduct your life a certain way or shapes the way you think, you have just given them authority to your life. And what I want to encourage you to do is give Jesus, this Jesus, authority to speak and shape the way you think and love and live. Give Jesus the authority, this, this Jesus. And then extend 
forgiveness. Extend forgiveness to the people, the friends, the family members, the neighbors, the classmates, the co-workers, whoever it is, in a lavish way, front and load, forgiveness and relating to people that way because this life that we're in matters. And when you live this way, you are a living witness to Jesus who was doing it from the beginning. We become a witness by doing this way of extending forgiveness. As we come to the communion table this morning, the communion table that we have come to, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, as followers of Jesus have been doing for 2,000 years. We do this as a remembrance and a proclamation of what Christ has done for us and the way it shapes us for how we live and how we conduct ourselves. I want to read a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. Then I'm going to ask Evelyn to pray and then I will lead us through the taking of the communion elements. From 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when He is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as Father, the one who judges all people impartially, according to their deeds. Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was the elect one. But was revealed at the end of the age.